Is that better? Yeah. Oh, that's good. I ain't finished yet, April. <laughs> you haven't heard what I've got to say yet. Thank you. Thank you, love. It's a bit dry this morning. It's really lovely to see Ivan's parents from Brazil. You're very welcome here. It's amazing to have you with us. We think of the journey that Ivan went on. Amazing how God works and moves, isn't it? Really lovely. I'm just going to pray. Father, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. Jesus, when you were here, you called him the promise of the Father. That promise has been fulfilled. He came and he's with us today. Father, it might be difficult to comprehend this very deep but very personal understanding of the Holy Spirit with us. But he's the amazing promise of the Father. So Spirit of God, would you help us, help me? Lord, may we just see the wonder of your word, the wonder of Jesus, the amazing plan going on in the earth today, right into eternity. Lord, help us to be amazed again at what you're up to and what your hands are involved in through your church. In Jesus' name. Well, these last three weeks, we've been sort of given the freedom, those of us who normally preach, to uh, select what we preach on. We had been doing, we usually do series, and the last series was based on this little book, <clears throat> Relational Mission, which is part of the sort of fellowship of churches that we belong to. And uh, we actually used this book as a basis of um, seeing what God wants us to do and, and how he wants us to move forward as a church and as a people and um, actually to, uh, to, to engage together with it and not in isolation, but um, you know, to partner with others you know, and what God's up to. And so we learned some very important things. And the last message that we had was um, we have a compass, but not a map. Is that around the right way, is it? We have a compass, but not a map. There are a couple of things John mentioned in his message. One was that amazing promise that was given to Abraham those many years ago, thousands of years ago now, but it is actually being worked out in our world today, right on into the future, and it's this. This is what God said to Abraham. He said, in your seed, and that was Isaac, meant to be Isaac, in your seed. It's strange he didn't say it to Abraham, but he says, in your seed, Isaac, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In your seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That was a promise. It still stands. It's at work now, even us sitting here today. It's the result of God working out his purpose that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's God's promise, and it's being worked out. From Abraham and 
that nation that came about because of him and then Moses. God was, was um, picking a nation to originally set this up and move it out into the greater world. I don't know if, I've been out and about just, just, just lately and I've noticed um, lots of Orthodox Jews about with their, their black waistcoats and their coats and their hats and their long, long tails. And many people may be asking the question, what's this all about? What's this all about? Some may be true Jews, others may not be, but they're following something that they believe that they're in the purpose of God. They're actually following tradition more than the promise of God. That's why it seems strange. But the promise was given to their nation those many years ago, as John mentioned, and that promise still stands today. They've missed the essential point of the promise, and that was where Jesus fitted into that promise. Tradition and a way of life has become more important than true relationship with God. And that's a danger in our world, isn't it? Actually getting into a way of life and habitually doing something as a means of satisfying our wills, if you like, satisfying our minds and our thinking. And yet we can actually lose the heart of what Christianity, if you like, or what God even is about. God's about people and blessing them. And if you look at those, and I say it respectfully, that those Jews, it's very in-house. It's to us only. But it's failing to reach the wider world. But God's true and real promise is, as John said, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Then we had, another week, we had some testimonies. We had testimonies from Jenny and from Malcolm. And Jenny was saying that in her experience with her back problems, the pain that she's gone through and the continual pain every day, that uh, she has learned something from God and the experience of others that God actually continues to give her fulfillment and satisfaction in her life, even though life is difficult. And the verse that she was using out of the Bible was what God had said to Paul, the apostle, in his physical suffering, my grace is sufficient for you. And what that really means is, what I can give you in your suffering and in your way of life, difficult though it may be, is sufficient for you to be satisfied and blessed and to keep you going and to know that that won't hinder you from enjoying the spiritual blessings that I have for you. What God could give him in physical suffering was enough. And we live in that sort of world today, maybe someone here, physical suffering. One of the promises of God is that what he gives us, despite the difficulty, is sufficient and enough. We can't know it by just looking at words, but we can know it through experience. And God works with experience. So in that little message which Jenny gave us, there was a sense of she was living with promise in her life. 
Then Malcolm too, he gave us his testimony how that God, he was in a place where he couldn't give up his chain smoking. And in a moment, just like that, God gave him the ability to give it up. That's an amazing supernatural thing which happens when we can't do something ourselves. God can give us the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to do what we can't do ourselves. So he's living with the promise that God works supernaturally in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Adrian, last week, was giving us the sense, you know, that God had healed him. Not the sense, the reality, beg your pardon there, because he was telling how that God had given him healing from asthma. Now he was able to run, now he's able to breathe, and so his life, in his life, has been manifest the promise of healing on his life. Now God promises healing in his world, he doesn't necessarily give it to everyone. We have to look at that in reality. And there may be a tension between the promises we read or we know God to give and actually proving them in our lives. But the reality there, yeah, God is still Jehovah Rapha, the healer. And when Jesus came to earth, he demonstrated that very fact that God is healer. And so this morning, let's hold out our hand in hope if we have... A physical need, God can heal it. And he will. And he can. And we ask for that healing. So in a sense, my message this morning, if you've seen the title on your bulletin, is Promises, Promises. Okay? Promises, Promises. I have a, we have a little card we, which pinned to our bedroom door, which my son did many, many years ago. We don't take it down. God keeps his promises. So in a sense, we're living with promises at home. I have done in my life when, uh, as a child, and my parents had no money, nowhere to live. My mother told me this story that they had to get out of their house. Many, many years ago, they hadn't got money. And um, the landlord was trying to get them out of the house. There was also the the possibility, hand of opportunity was extended them to buy the property. And yet, the landlord came along and said, you've got to get out. You've got to get out. Mother was cleaning one day, and she pulled the carpet up, and there was this little bit of paper. I don't know where it came from, possibly a calendar or something like that. But it's actually verse out of the Bible, and it says, I will not suffer your foot to be moved. And she took that as a personal answer to their prayers. They ended up renting the house and buying it. A few years later, quite a few years later, Margaret and I had been married and we was renting a property in our first and early married years. And we were landed with the position of getting out of our house that we was in in West Bear near Sturry. And, um, of course, the day was looming when we had to get out and there was nothing there. You know, we just felt this negative explosion in our lives. You know, you've got to go and there's nowhere for you to go. Where do you go? We haven't got any money. 
houses then were £3,000, bungalow, new bungalows in Sturry were £3,000 or more. Seems unreal, doesn't it? Seems totally unreal. But we couldn't break up £3,000 for anywhere. And um, the strange thing is, um, we, Margaret and I, prayed about it, and we really thought God was going to drop £3,000 uh, into us. And I remember it because it was a night when we were doing a children's gospel meeting in Sturry. And um, we just felt so, so encouraged, so expectant. We thought, God's going to drop £3,000 into our hands, and we're going to get this property in Herne Bay, which we'd heard about in Mickleburg Hill. And uh, the strange thing is, all of a sudden, a lady gave my mum £3,000. She said, I've seen a property, the one we'd looking at. She said, it'd be good if you bought it. So my mum moved out of her property in Sturry, the one that God had given them. They moved to Herne Bay. We moved into the property at Sturry. And that was God's provision for us for many years. But it's amazing, God's promise over our lives. We weren't really living with the promise of God in our life, but God declared his promises to us, and his love and his care for us. And it goes on like that. My two daughters got married in the same year. That was an expense, money we hadn't got. We're praying about it, and all of a sudden, someone just gave us a gift of money. God knew our need before we even prayed about it, which covered our expenses. And so I'm, we're very familiar with what God can do for us through his promises. That's just a little bit about my life and how God works and moves. But if I said to you, promises, promises, you would say, ha. Huh. They're two words put together as a butt end of a joke, aren't they? Promises, promises. But we're not looking at jokes this morning. We're looking at truth from God's word and how it can apply to us. I'd like us to read um, in Isaiah 54. And um, initially it might be difficult to get into this. I don't want to go on too long with it. But if you've got, I would like to have a Bible and turn to it. And we're going to read it together. So as I mention promises, promises to you, it conjures up negative experience of broken promises. Seems like a joke rather than if there were any genuine outcome to them. So let's read Isaiah 54. I want to read all of this chapter. It's written by a prophet I was speaking earlier about the nation of Israel and it's speaking to them in that situation where they've been taken captive by a foreign nation out of their land and almost outside of the promises of God, away from their comfort zone, away from their security, away from their homeland. They was, in, they was like strangers and foreigners in a land which wasn't theirs. And so this prophet, he's writing to them in that sort of situation. So let's, that just puts it in a context a little bit. Verse 1, Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You 
who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Rather a strange phrase, but there you go. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will, now just consider where they are and what their situation is, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. So here's a promise, here's a hope, here's a future in their situation. Verse 4, fear not, for you will not be ashamed, not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood, and you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. What an amazing phrase. God is speaking, your maker is your husband. So God approaches his people on the basis of relationship, not religion. That is an important factor. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says the Lord. For a brief moment I deserted you. That's because the people had said God's deserted us. So God puts his hand up, yeah, I have. Because you've not moved into the promise, you've not lived with the promise on your life. Verse 7, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. The people were saying, God's angry with us. And I think we live in a world that say, God's angry with me. But God said, yeah, he did anger me for the way you treated me. Continuing in verse 8, I hid my face from you, but, 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 and thank God for the buts in Scripture, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And then he's, he, the, the writer, the prophet, thinks back. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. Verse 10, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate and your gates of carbuncles and all your walls of precious stones. 
All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. From terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it's not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you will succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me. If you don't remember anything of the details or anything, remember this one thing, that that chapter 54 is full of promise and it's full of promises. Full of promise and full of promises. You read it again sometime and you just put that little thing over that chapter and you'll see it's full of promise and full of promises. That's what God is. The writer to the New Testament, he said, you may not know that. You may not have experienced that. You may have great and serious doubts about my ability to deliver on any of this. But look at Jesus. Because Paul says in writing to Corinthians, he says, Every promise, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So whatever promise it is, whether it's a promise to Israel, a promise to individual, a promise to church life, if you like, or whatever, a promise for the future, it's all, in the end, it's all going to be, have seen, to be, have worked out and provided by Jesus. He is the one that says the, all the promises are yes and amen. It means is, now they've come to life. They may have been forgotten, but now they're coming to life for you personally. They're yes. Yes, you can prove them. Yes, you can find them to be real for you. And in the end, when it says the amen, we will look back on our lives and we will say, yeah, absolutely. It was all God's work. It's what he's done, and he's done it in Jesus. He's made it available. He's helped me to, to live with the promises on my life. He's helped me to live with the promise that he's made to me personally. And he's helped me to live with the promises for the future. There are 2,300 and 12 popular songs on record that have the phrase broken promises in them. 35 artists who wrote them and 100 albums singing or dirging if you like. I don't think you call this singing but they're dirging about broken promises. Let me read you some of them. On memories, 
everywhere I look as far as I can see, broken promises, broken promises, pieces of me. I'm drowning, choking, falling deeper into this. Yesterday, you threw it all away. Ain't it a shame? Love's a game full of broken promises. All the broken promises. Love could never be like this. No more broken promises of love. Pennies from heaven. Keep us dancing in the shade. But can we believe them? What makes us so afraid? I will follow. Until I saw this day, it didn't turn out the way we planned. Now I'm living in broken promise land. Broken promise land. That's where I'm living. Finish with this one. With broken wings, no bird can fly. And broken promises mean love must fade and die. I trusted you. You can't be true. My heart no longer sings. Are you singing this morning? Or have you lost your song? Because chapter 54 starts with this one word, comma, sing. Sing. For those of you who know your Bibles in Psalm 137, it reflects this experience that we're reading about to this Jewish nation being in captivity and how they were treated in that situation by their captors, that too was a pop song or at one stage. And I'll just read a few of the words to you if you don't know it. By the rivers of Babylon, that's where they were, we sat, we wept, when we remembered Zion, looking back, the what, the promise, you know, the promise over their nation seemed to be gone and gone forever. There on the populars, we hung up our harps. Have you hung up your harp? The song in your, you may sing, but the song in your heart has gone. It's gone, and you want to start singing again. And who can make you sing again today? And that's Jesus. He can make you sing, and you'll want to sing at the top of your voice when you find the love, those things which God mentioned in that passage. Your husband is your maker. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will protect you. I will keep you. I will vindicate you in situations which you are out of your control. I will look after you. I will do for you what you can't do for yourself, living with the promise. But I'm afraid it's not possible in this life with the things we have going on around us. I mean, with all the good that our government does, who is actually trusting the government today and the things that they're saying? <laughs> it's a hard, difficult job. Why? They're trying, they're trying to work a cursed earth because the people are messing it up and they just, it will eventually come out because they won't be able to handle it. But Jesus can, and that's the amazing thing. 
even in situations. Our politicians. In the area of finances, who do you trust? Stocks, shares, pensions, wages even. Who, who do you trust? Because that's what the mind, that's the thinking today in today's who can I trust? Who can I trust? Who will, who will give who will give this stability to my life? Who will change my life? Who will make it mean something again? Who will give me this song to sing again? And so the prophet says to the people, sing, it's time to sing. I just want to say to you this morning, you know, our churches should be full of promise and full of promises. And if I don't convey that to you this morning, tell me afterwards. But all I will do is remind you of Jesus because that's where the promise over your life and making the promises of God real to you can only be found, found in Jesus. What's the song we sing up here? Jesus, you're the hope I cling to. And we sing that time and time again. We also sing, we sing, Jesus, you're the holy promise. You're the holy promise. And that is true. But in this world with broken promises, it's difficult, isn't it? You know, as I talk to people, I sense knowing or who or what they can trust in life has become one of those battles. A battle of life where you expect it, you know it's out there somewhere, but it's hard to find. As I've said, the promise over your life. Living with the promise of God is found in Jesus. So I would just say to you today, look to Jesus. So this chapter is full of promises and, and it's full of promise and full of promises. And God's personality and character for renewal and restoration, they were a damaged nation and in, such, in some situations they were ruined people. And their only way out was to actually now listen to the word of God and to take him at his word. The gospel of Jesus Christ is full of promise and full of promises. Jesus said, and this answers that question, I have come so that you might have life and have that life in its abundance. Now what I have to say is, is that actually right, what Jesus is saying? Is it provable? Is it workable? Is it provable, Fred? Does it work? It works. Anybody want to say amen to that? Jesus is the holy promise. He is the answer. Tommy Tucker sang for his supper. He had to sing in order to get something. Now the sing here that we begin with in this passage is not Tommy Tucker singing for his supper because religion says you have to do something to reach God. But the song that God has says it's all been done. Just come. The price for your sin, your forgiveness, eternal life, 
That's why we can sing. That's why, that's why the fullness of the song, God says, come on, it's time to sing, and time to sing again. Now, very quickly, very quickly, God had promised Israel a promised land. Now, if you don't know much about the Bible, you've probably heard the promised land. There are lots of songs about the promised land. This nation of Israel was in slavery before. As you, you know bits of the story if you don't know the whole story and how God brought them out by a mighty hand through the path of the Red Sea. And he brought them out of slavery and God was going to promise them to give them a land, a land which was flowing with milk and honey. In other words, it would be a place where they could settle and know the delights of God. They would know God's provision for them and their lives would be blessed in that situation. The land, that's, that's the terminology used. I'm not going to take time to explain it, but to them, oh, you know, if only we could get there. When can we get there? What's it going to be like? The expectation, you know, that something was going to happen. The expectation. God, the land that God wanted them to occupy was about, about and it's an estimate, 300,000 square miles. They've never occupied more than 30,000 square miles. They've never reached that promise. It may be difficult to understand what the Bible says about the future and the land of Israel, but we'll leave it just there. But it's, this is the point. The promises of God are for the taking. All of them. But in our lives, we may only experience one or two of the promises being fulfilled in our life. But the point about it is, am I taking God at his word and at least claiming a promise for my life? Or living with the promise over my life that he actually wants to bless me? Because the thinking largely out in the world is God wants to take away things from my life and not bless me. Living with the promise. Now, very, very quickly, there are three experiences in the life of a female person which are enlarged upon in the chapter we read this morning. And they actually help to unpack some of the experiences that we have in life outside of the culture for women was, was quite awful in many areas in those days as it was when Jesus came. The first word we read about after the sing is um, sing, O barren one, barrenness. The inability to bear children and Forgive me if, it's, if I seem insensitive. I don't mean to be insensitive. But barrenness is not only a stigma, it makes the lady's heart sink to the lowest depth when she can't have children. Sometimes our lives feel like they're barren. We have nothing to look forward to. We've lived most of our life. And, you know, you might enjoy doing the things or fulfilling your bucket list. 
It might give you a bit of excitement, but ultimately, end, you're going to run out of promise over your life if you don't know Jesus. Because he fills our life with promise for the future beyond the grave. Jesus talked about eternal life. Jesus talked about being able to escape the judgment of God. Jesus talked about forgiveness of sins. Barrenness. But barrenness has a stigma, and it has its own promise. There's nothing that sinks the heart of a woman more to find out after trying she cannot have children. Socially and culturally, there's a stigma, or she feels she's unable. She's not accepted. In that culture, she wouldn't be accepted and she'd be marginalized because of her situation in life. God, within God's promises, he wants to deal with that sense of being a loser. Or if we take two things that God is saying, he says more of the children of the married person. So you have a contrast here between someone who's unable to bear children and someone who's married with children. So what am I saying? I'm saying the tension between the haves and the have-nots. Now, sometimes the church experiences this intellectually. There are some people with exams, and some people have got amazing results in their GCECs. And so you have a tension between the haves and the have-nots. And sometimes there's conflict in the church in those situations. Sometimes it's with money. You have the rich and the poor. And there's a tension between those. You may be rich, but both need to live within the promise of God on their life, they're accepted, not because of their situation, but because of what Jesus has done. We're all accepted in him. Everyone has the same status. In a sense, there's no barrenness in Christ because the promise is for our lives to know what Jesus said to be fulfilled within that. The other two, and I've lost, run out of time now, and I should get told off if I go on. But one is widowhood, and the other is divorce. And these three areas in the feminine experience, the female experience I've brought before us, they not only their experience as females, but they say life is like that. And that's how that nation was. But God spoke into it, and he wants us to know the power of his promise on our life. I want to close close with a verse in 2 Peter that I read on a preach I had recently. If you'd like to turn to it in Bibles, 2 Peter 1. That's towards the end of the Bible, just a few couple of books from the back. I just feel I want to speak into this and maybe um, you'd like to pray about it afterwards. I feel just someone's living with negativity with them at the moment, you know? When, when I was younger, someone only had to say someone, something negative to me and I felt, I felt isolated. I felt isolated because of that thing. Or something negative was happening in my life. We feel God's against me. 
And I just felt I needed to know that actually God was on my side and he actually loved me like he loves everybody else. But I just want to read this to you. 2 Peter 1. His divine power, this Peter speaking to the scattered church who are living with persecution, his divine power has given us, what's this word, everything? Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, that's Jesus, who called us by his own glory and goodness. We had that this morning, singing of his glory. Verse 4, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, this is amazing, through them you may participate in divine nature. If you want to participate in divine nature this morning, what does that mean? Living with the promise of God on your life, living beyond the grave, living with hope and the sense of God's touching you, that you may, through them, participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I mentioned broken promises. That's a form of corruption in our world, isn't it? And God by the learning and proving the promises of God on our life. I will not leave you or forsake you, says the Lord. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Talks of his peace, perfect peace. Promises, promises. God can turn it around for each of us this morning. Show his amazing love and compassion for us as individuals and as a church. Father, we just thank you. I just thank you so much for Jesus. There's that little verse. In your word, Lord, it says, God cares for you. Maybe something's not happening for you just at the moment and you're frustrated by it. There's that sense of negativity, but God has a plan. Just like he said to these people, I have plans to prosper you and not to hurt you. So whatever your situation this morning, it's a plan of God to do something good or even better for you. Thank you, Jesus. We just, Jesus, we want to thank you. Thank you so much that you suffered for us. What we read about in Isaiah 53, no wonder the people could start to sing. So help us, Father, we pray. Help us to live with your promise over our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think uh, coffee is well on.